Hey, I want to share a message with you today simply called one. One. Everybody say one. One. Just one. I want you to think about one. One person that needs to know Jesus Christ. One person. Just one. I'm not asking you to carry the burden for the whole world or the billions of people that don't know Jesus Christ. I want you to think about one. One person. One person that's in your life, one person that's in your circle of influence, one person that you have some type of contact with, one person that doesn't know Jesus. And I want you to ask the Lord to put that person as a burden on your heart. Here's the reason I'm doing this. Uh, This past week, I was uh, using my GPS, and I have a love-hate relationship with my GPS, uh, because I, I never go the right direction the first time, and it always corrects me. And uh, ordinarily, when I'm going along, uh, you know, it'll start saying U-turn, U-turn, and if I don't say U-turn, then it starts saying recalculating, recalculating. Well, I know that's code for you're going the wrong way, dummy, but I'm going to help you anyway. Uh, how did you miss that big sign over there? I, I'm sure there's a lot of, it's code for a lot of things. Uh, but God kind of operates that way in our lives whenever we make missteps and we go the wrong direction. You know, he doesn't tell us what I'm sure he's really thinking. He just says recalculating, recalculating. He, he offers a whole lot of grace and I'm thankful for his grace. But as I was uh, going through this process with my GPS, I realized how much of my frustration and how much of the anxiety that I feel in life comes through my phone. Whether it's you know, emails or whether it's text messages or whether it's social media, it's just like the frustration, it all comes through. I, I know this is our communication device. I get it. But there are times, and I felt it this week, there are times that I just kind of wish I could go back to the old days where, uh, uh, you know, I'll be home when I get home. You know, I'll see you when I get there. And uh, I didn't have to worry about somebody getting hold of me during that time. I'll be there. You'll know I'll be there. You know, there's just, I don't know. It's just part of me. I was kind of dealing with that this week. But I realized through this medium that we have of social media, how we have become extremely desensitized very desensitized. Our days are filled with the social media overload and, and we, we read news uh, headlines and stories and we can flip right past somebody being raped and murdered and mugged and beaten and tied up and babies left on doorsteps and murders and a genocides and, and we just flip right past it without ever giving it a second thought. I'm putting me right here in the middle of it. Now, maybe that's not you, but I think it's probably most of us. When's the last time we saw something that literally captured us and caused us to change our behavior, change our plans? When's the last time we saw something while scrolling through social media that literally stopped us and brought us to tears? When's the last time we truly had a broken heart for somebody that does not know Jesus? Somebody that we know without Christ will spend an eternity apart from Christ. When's the last time? When's the last time our heart was moved 
like that. I want you to think, think about your prayers over the last year. I know you can't gather up all of them, but let's just, just summarize prayers over the last year. Did they include prayers for healing? Sure. Peace in our life? Yes, yes. Did, did our prayers include promotion at work? Absolutely. Did our prayers include, uh, I don't know, grace for our missteps? Of course. Forgiveness for our blatant sins, without a doubt. But did any of our prayers include a burden, a tearful plea for somebody that does not know Jesus Christ, that they would come to know Christ? What kind of sacrifices have we made in that prayer attempt that somebody would be saved. See, our days are filled with all kinds of ones. One more task finished before we go home from work. One more letter written. One more report filed. One more task completed. One more item off the to-do list. Students, one more test. One more step towards the term paper. One more uh, assignment done. We get all that. You know, Our weeks are filled with one more week of work. One more workout. One more day off. One more honeydew. Our, our months are filled with one more bill to pay. One more mortgage. One more rent. Uh, one more car payment. Our years pass with one more year until we graduate, one more year until I get married, one more year till I have kids, one more year, one more dollar, one more raise, one more promotion, one more move up the ladder, one more item off the bucket list, one more gray hair, one more wrinkle. But have we ever stayed up at night and just prayed for one more soul? God, just give us one more, one more soul, one more lost person found. One more person headed towards destruction, turn around and come back home. One more prodigal out of that pig pen. When's the last time we really prayed like that? I'm concerned that we've become unconcerned. Matthew 16, 26 says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? So we can have all the things that world has to offer and thank the Lord for things. But what good is it if we gain everything, but we lose our soul? What, what good is it if our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones, our, our coworkers, if they have everything, but yet they lose their soul? In fact, the six saddest words ever said here in Psalms 142, no one's at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Six saddest words ever said. No one cares for my life. And it's sad to think that there are people that we are in contact with, and even maybe some that are here in this room today or some that are watching this service online right now, and you feel like no one cares for your life. I wish I could wave the magic wand and snap my fingers and make you believe, hey, we care, we care, we care. I can tell you this room is filled with people that do care. But I know actions speak louder than words. And so I would ask that maybe give us a chance to show that we care. Plug into this house and let us show that we care. So why should we care about the souls of those who are lost? Why, why should we care about people that don't know Christ? Why? Let me, let me give you five reasons real quick. Number one, because God cares. Here's why we should care, because God cares. 
For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whosoever, as all of us, whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God cares. God cares about every single one of us, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of how much money we have, regardless of what state we were born in, city we were born in, country we were born in. God cares. He cares about every single one of us. And we should care because God cares. You know, Jesus cares. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, while we were still lost, while we were still headed the wrong direction, while we were still in rebellion and disobedience, Jesus chose to die for us. Before we got our act together, before we said yes, before we even showed that we had an interest in coming to know Christ, Jesus Christ died for us. He cares. So God the Father cares. Jesus cares. The Holy Spirit cares because the Holy Spirit is the one who is sent to help us, to comfort us, and even to convict us, to make us feel that gut-wrenching feeling inside of our stomachs when we know we're doing something wrong. He convicts us so that we can turn back to him. So God cares. Jesus cares. The Holy Spirit cares. Did you know what the angels in heaven care? The angels in heaven care about the lost because look at this. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one, over one sinner. Now think about this. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one person who says yes to Jesus than any. No, no angels are rejoicing that we showed up here today and that we're singing our favorite songs or we sang the loudest or we, you know what? I was so proud of all these teenage boys down here in the front. Kudos to you guys. However, heaven's not rejoicing that you guys are down here in the front. Angels aren't rejoicing. I was. I even commented to Joe. I said, hey, bunch of teenage boys down there in the front. I mean, y'all were talking a little too much, but other than that, <laughs> but I was proud of it. I said, good on you guys. But you know what? Heaven is rejoicing over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. So if the angels in heaven are rejoicing and the Holy Spirit is rejoicing, the Holy Spirit cares and Jesus cares and God cares, shouldn't we care? Well, here's another reason why we should care is because someone cared for you. Someone cared for you. It may have been your mama. It may have been your grandma. It may have been a, a pastor, a youth pastor. It could have been a coach or a teacher or a neighbor or a big brother. Somebody cared enough for you to pray. Don't think you got to Jesus all on your own. Now you got here because somebody prayed. Somebody prayed the prayer. Oh God, whatever it takes. And it happened. Some of us hit the very bottom. Because somebody was praying whatever it takes. <laughs> oh, I've prayed that for my kids. Reluctantly, I've prayed it. God, whatever, what, whatever it takes. I don't know what that's going to open up over them. I don't know that, what that's going to release on them. But I'm more concerned about their soul than I am their comfort. So whatever it takes, you bring them to Jesus. I bet somebody prayed that over you. Someone cared for you. The angels in heaven care for you. God cares for you. Shouldn't we care for others? In fact, Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. We should be soul winners. Come on, we should be soul winners. 
Maybe we've lost that desire, lost that hunger, lost that, that passion, but we should be soul winners. Matthew 4, 19 says, he said unto them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We were brought into this family of God to become fishers of men. So how can we do a better job of reaching one more person? I want to read this passage of scripture to you. It's a great passage. It has a lot of great lessons in it. Luke chapter five, if you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter five or your phones. It's the only thing you should be doing. Your phone is looking at the scripture, Luke chapter five, or it'll be on the screen. Luke five, one says one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. These guys were done. They had finished. They had washed all night. Nothing. They had caught nothing. They were done. They were washing their nets, getting ready to hang it up for the day. He got into the one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. So he jumps in the boat. He says, just put it out a little bit. So he's right there on the edge. And then he turns and it says, then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So while he's in the boat, he's teaching those who are there on the shore and even those that are in the boat, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. So he begins to teach them. He's pouring into them the word of God. That's what happens to us when we come to church. We get taught the word of God. So we're hearing the word. We're hearing the word. We're hearing the word. And then what does he do after he pours the word of God into them? Then look what he says. When he had finished speaking, verse four, he, he said, Simon, put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Okay, I've had you here close. I've been teaching you the word. Now I want you to push you out into the deep and let the nets down for a catch. In other words, there's something that's very positive about what he said. He said, we're going to push out into the deep. You're going to throw your nets into the water and you're going to get a catch. Throw your nets into the water for a catch. Not hoping to get a catch, but you're going to get a catch. And so he says, Simon answers, said, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, in other words, here's another great lesson. You always obey God regardless of whether it flies in the face of your logic or not. Even if it doesn't make sense to you, God, if you say so, then that's, that's, that's what we're going to do. Because you say so, we'll let down the nets. And verse 6 says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats with so, so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, well, Simon knew he was wrong. Simon knew and he was embarrassed. He fell at the knees, uh, Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Again, recalculating. He just responds, recalculating. Don't worry about it, Simon. From now on, you're going to fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. Powerful story. But I think from this, we see three things that we can do to help reach others better, a better, a method of soul winning. Number one, number one is the ship or the boats, which is the church. It says he got into one of the boats, one belonging to Simon, asking to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down, taught the people from the boat. So Freedom Church is the boat. Freedom Church is the ship. And it's here where we get taught the word of God. But we've got to make sure that Jesus is the captain of this ship. So I got a quick question for you. Do you believe Jesus is the captain of this ship? 
I mean, are we doing things Jesus way, the Jesus way, as best we know, or are we just doing our own thing? No, we're doing our very best to do it the Jesus way. And whatever the word says, because this is what we're being taught, whatever the word says, that's what we're going to do. Even if it flies against our own logic, even if it doesn't make us comfortable. We're going to do what Jesus says we're going to do. So Jesus is going to be the captain of this ship. Just in case anybody doesn't know, Jesus is the captain of Freedom Church. We're all just crewmen on, the, on board this ship. And in fact, I need to let other people know, this is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. So put your pool deck chair, put it away. Put your suntan lotion away. This is not time for you to get your swimsuit on and watch for the entertainment and just be comfortable. Now, this is a battleship, and this battleship is on a mission, and the mission is to win the lost at any cost. So I'm looking for some crew members on this battleship. We need workers in every department, everywhere. We need all hands on deck because there are still a lot of people that need reaching. So this is a battleship not a cruise ship. The second thing is that the water represents humanity. The deep would be the despised of humanity. It says when he had finished speaking, he sighed to Simon. It's, it's a Greek word. It's way, it's way over your head. Okay. So I won't even try to explain it. Okay. I'm sorry. I just had to draw your attention to it because it was bugging me. Uh, and it's all my fault. Okay. Well, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, okay, for those that don't know what I'm talking about, this word is spelled wrong right here. Okay. Okay. Now we're all on the same page. Okay. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let the nets down for a catch. So the water represents humanity Here's This is the ship and the water all around us has humanity. In it. But notice this, when the ship was up close to the shore, he was teaching, but then in order to reach Humanity. He said, we got to push out into the deep, go out in the deep. So it was impossible for us to stay on the shore and reach humanity. We had to get into the boat. We had to get into Freedom Church, into the body of Christ, and then listen to his command that didn't really make sense because we've been fishing all night long. But Jesus says, now push out into the deep for a catch. Well, because you say so, that's what we're going to do. So we're just obedient regardless of whether we think it's right or feel like it's right or whether it fits with the narrative of our culture today. We just obey because Jesus says do it. So whatever Jesus says do, that's what we're going to do. And he says push out into the deep. So we go out into the deep, and there when you get into the deep, that's where you can actually reach the people who are drowning in the sea of humanity, and they're reaching up for somebody to give them a hand. How else are you going to reach them and give them a hand if you stay over here on the shore? Somebody's got to get in and launch out into the deep. And that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to reach out because there are people all around us that need help. And how else are you going to reach them unless you launch out into the deep? A few years ago, our family, as we do most every year, go to the State Fair of Texas. And uh, as our family was getting larger and larger, it becomes more difficult to try to keep everybody together. We had about 16 of us that year. This is, I don't know, four, five, six years ago. And uh, our oldest grandson was probably only about six years old at the time. And we had divided up and we were going two different directions. So a group of eight were going for, to one event and another group were going to another event. And we split up. And when we left, somebody in our group said, hey, where's Cannon, our oldest grandchild? 
well, I don't know. I, th- I think he's with the other group. I don't know. I think he's supposed to be with our group. And all of a sudden there's this confusion, this panic look comes over everybody. So we call the other group. Hey, y'all got cannon. No, we thought he was with you. No, we thought he was with you. Oh, we don't have him. Oh, we don't have him. Now all of a sudden, full on panic mode. We're in the middle of the State Fair of Texas, packed, packed shoulder to shoulder people, and our oldest grandson is missing. All of a sudden, we took off. You go that way. You go that way. You go that way. We took off and realized we left all the other grandkids alone. Oh, wait, wait. We got to keep them so we don't lose them. Somebody stay with these grandkids so they don't go anywhere. Okay. And then we just started. I mean, we started going everywhere. We started knocking over old ladies and old men and just whatever it took to get there because it was a scooter day. I think it was senior citizen day. And I may have stolen a scooter from somebody. I'm not sure. But we were, we were on full-on panic mode trying to find our grandson. Because we knew if he was lost, it was was not good. We made our way back, finally, back to the spot where we split up. And there he was. Never knew a thing happened. Watching a puppet show. (laughs) Come on, Kenneth. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) It's like as if nothing happened. But here's what I remember about that moment. I remember the anxiety, the stress, the urgency that came over, the panic that came over every single one of us because we knew, we believed one of our family members was lost. And there was only one thing to do, anything necessary to find the lost child, anything. It didn't matter. I'm serious. I'd run over anybody. I'd have punched anybody. I'd have hit anybody. I'd have done whatever it took to find that child. I'm not asking that we have that mentality when it comes to winning the lost. But I'm saying we've got to have some kind of sense of urgency. Can I get an amen? We've got to have some kind of burden that drives us to do something out of our normal character that would find somebody who's lost and, and possibly losing their life to an eternal damnation. We've got to be willing to do something. So we got to get out there into the deep. And here's the last point of this. Number three, the nets represent the anointing of God. The nets are in the boat. He said, launch out into the deep. So we get out where the people are. And then he said, I want you to throw your nets into the water. Wouldn't it be foolish for musicians, if you guys come back, wouldn't it be foolish for a fisherman to go out fishing in a boat? And spend all day in the boat and never throw their nets into the water. Now, remember, they, I know you're thinking maybe rod and reels or cane poles. They fished with nets back then. Wouldn't it be foolish to think that you could catch anything but never throw your nets into the water? Here's what I want every one of us to realize, that you have a net. What is that net? It's the anointing that's upon your life. Yes, there's an anointing from God, but God's anointing is very specialized in each and every one of our lives. My anointing for whatever it is, and I don't compare myself to anybody else, but whatever it is, good, bad, or ugly, my anointing is preaching the gospel of Jesus. That's what I do. 
Your anointing might be the same, or it may be teaching, or it may be in music, it may be a gifted musician, or it may be in singing, or it may be through poetry, it may be through videography, or, or, or it may be through photography, it may be through the business that you've created that God uses you to give you uh, influence over other people. It may be some other special gift that God has given you to be able to share his story through your story. But at the very least, each and every one of us have a personal testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives that we can share with somebody else to let them know that what Jesus has done for me, that he could do for them. But you've got to be willing to share the story. You've got to be willing to throw the net. There's an anointing upon every single one of our lives, but unless we're willing to use that anointing, there will be people that will die in an eternal death, unless we're willing to do our part, unless we're willing to share the gospel, unless we're willing to go, unless we're willing to sow, unless we're willing to give, to give of ourselves, to give of our time, to give of our talents, to give of our resources, to give of our hearts. Del Tar was a missionary many years in West Africa, and he tells the story of how in an area called the Savannah, about a 4,000-mile stretch below the Sahara Desert, that water only comes to the Savannah in May, June, July, and August. The other eight months of the year, it's completely dry. The ground becomes cracked and dry, the same as your skin becomes dry and cracked. It becomes very, very hard and impossible to produce a harvest in any time other than May, June, July, and August. So they would store up their grain and store up their food for the remaining part of the year and would live off of what they harvested in that summertime. October, November were good years, good, I mean, good months, because there were plenty of, plenty of grain in the barn and plenty of food. And they, they would take that sorghum and they would grind the sorghum up between the rocks and they would create a... a something kind of like what we would know as cream of wheat or like an oatmeal, and they would uh, roll it up into a ball and dip it into a, a hot sauce and pop it in their mouth. And, and they would eat two meals a day in October and November. And then in December and January, maybe start cutting back to one meal a day as they're starting to ration their food to make sure it lasts all the way until the next May. And sometimes in March... They would have to cut back to half a mill a day. Del Tar said that the most cruel month of all was the month of April, that last month leading right up to the next harvest season. So children could be heard wailing through the night, crying with hunger pains. And oftentimes in that month is when sickness and disease would set in because their malnourished bodies were unable to fight off the sickness and disease. He said he remembered the time when he heard of a, a boy, a little six, seven-year-old boy came running into his daddy. He says, Daddy, Daddy, we have grain. It's in the middle of April, and these kids are hungry, and they're starving. He says, we have grain. He says, no, son, we don't have any more grain. He says, yes, I found a bag of grain in the hut where we keep the goats. A little black bag, and I reached my hand in there, and there's grain, Daddy. Daddy, please give the grain. Give the grain to Mama so she can make some food for us so our tummies can sleep tonight. Son, we can't eat that grain. 
That grain is seed grain for next year's harvest. And that's the only thing that stands in between our family and starvation. But daddy, I'm hungry now. Daddy, I need something now. Son, we can't waste that grain. We've got to wait until the rains come so we can sow it and have food for next year. Diltar says, the men of God in that Savannah preach from Psalms 126 with a whole different perspective than we might. When it says, he who sows in tears will reap in joy. He said, these fathers, they will go out knowing that their children are at home needing a meal to eat. And through tears, they'll take that seed and they'll cast it on the ground. Through tears, they sow in hope, in faith, believing that a harvest is going to come that will feed their family for the next year. So they do the very hard thing. They do the very difficult thing. They do something that doesn't quite make sense logically to the child. And they sow those tears, or they sow those, that grain through tears, knowing that it will provide them a harvest in the future. Here's what I realize. That every single one of us have an opportunity to sow a seed into somebody's life. We have an opportunity to sow a seed into somebody that needs to know Jesus. We have an opportunity to be able to sow into that one person. That one person that needs to know Christ. That one person that needs to say yes to Jesus. That one person that without Christ, you know they're going to spend eternity lost. Will you sow that seed? It may go against everything that you feel like you should do. It may be a great sacrifice. It may be a great cost. But are you willing to sow that seed knowing that it will provide a harvest in the future? That's what God's asking out of us today. He's asking that of every single one of us. There's one person, just one person. I'm not asking you to win the whole world. I'm asking you to let God put one person on your heart. And will you pray for that person? Will you sow seeds in that person's life? Will you do whatever it takes to see them come to know Jesus Christ?